Hi there, welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on Christmas Day, 2022, on the basis of John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and verse 14. If you were to open your Bible and scan the first couple chapters of the the four Gospels, here's what you'd find. In Matthew, you'd find a genealogy of Jesus followed by a narrative story of of Jesus' birth kind of told from Joseph's perspective. Then you'd turn to Mark and you may be surprised how Mark starts the Gospel. He doesn't tell anything about Jesus' life before his ministry. He starts with John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry. Then you get to Luke. Luke's the one we're used to hearing around Christmas time because he has the most extensive recording of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 1 even records stuff before that. It records the annunciation of John the Baptist's birth, of Jesus' birth, Zachariah's song, Mary's song, all of that's included in Luke. But then you get to the book of John. Now, the Gospel of John is different from all the other Gospels uh, in a lot of ways, but especially in how it begins. Uh, The book of John does not record a narrative of Jesus' birth like Matthew and Luke did. It doesn't skip over Jesus' birth like Mark did. Uh, But he records the theological significance of the incarnation of Christmas. And he's got a really good reason for doing that. You see, the Apostle John is writing his gospel at the very end of the first century AD. He's the last one to write a gospel. Now, John, by this point, had seen a lot of false teachings come out about Jesus. And so, John has a unique opportunity here. He has a unique opportunity to to write the gospel and address some of these false teachings directly. And that's exactly what he does. One of the false teachings that was out around that time was coming from a man named Serinthus. Now, Serinthus taught many false things about Jesus, among them being that Jesus was not there in the beginning. He was not with the Father. He did not take part in creation, and he was not God. Serinthus denied the Trinity, and he used a passage from Deuteronomy, from Moses' book, Deuteronomy, to to try to make his point. It was a misinterpreted passage from Deuteronomy. And so, John, in the beginning of his book, addresses this false teaching right off the bat. And he does it with impeccable style. One thing you'll notice, if you hold up John chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 1, you'll find a remarkable similarity between the two. Now, many of you know that Genesis chapter 1, Genesis, the whole book, was written by Moses. So, John is using Mosaic style to refute a man who claims to derive his false teaching from Moses. (laughs) Pretty cool. And so, John starts by establishing who exactly Jesus is. That he was in the beginning, that he was with the Father, And that he was and is God. All of that's packed into the very first verse. And then John elaborates on that a little bit. He says that Jesus was a part of that, was taking part in that creation. 
Jesus created everything that exists. In fact, nothing that has been created was created without Jesus. Jesus is the full divinity of God the Father. He is just as much God as God the Father, just as much God as God the Spirit. So don't be fooled by this little child that's laying in the manger. This is the full divinity of God. That's the mystery of of Christmas. That's the mystery of the incarnation. That this divine God was contained, humbled himself to be contained in this little child, in human flesh. It was a truth that that John proclaimed in verse 14 when he said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. How could Mary and Joseph have known the extent of what they were looking at in that manger? Now, maybe they'd know better than than other people would because they, they had a special visit from the angels. But the shepherds, too. How, how could they know what they were worshiping as they worshiped this child laying in a manger? Of course, they might know better than some because they received a visit from the angels, too, in the Bethlehem hills. Yet still, a whole lifetime, a million lifetimes, wouldn't be enough for a human brain to wrap its head around God being in the flesh. God humbling himself to be born of a virgin. God being laid in a manger. This is Emmanuel, the name that means God with us. God has come to dwell among his people. And the extent of what that means, it's not just a theological exercise saved for for some people in a classroom, but it's an exercise of comfort. As we attempt to, to start to wrap our heads around Christmas and the mystery of the Incarnation. So let's dig into the comfort a little bit this morning. The first thing to uncover comes from verse 14. We read that a couple times already this morning, but let's read it again. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, quite literally, it would read this way. The Word became flesh and tented among us. As in, he set up a tent among us. Now, John is using this word intentionally. His his word choice is very careful here because he wants you to remember all of the other times that that God had tented among his people. Now, as you hear that, you're racking your brain. You're you're thinking about all of the, the things that you can remember in the Bible and trying to remember the last time God tented among his people. It's okay if you don't. But we got to go all the way back to the time of Moses. Moses led the the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, They they crossed the the Red Sea on dry ground and went into the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, God gave the Israelites a very special way to worship him. And he gave them specific instructions on how to do that. And one of the things included uh, constructing this portable worship space that was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was quite literally a tent, a tent where they would worship God. But God had also attached promises to this tent, to this tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40 says, The glory of the Lord filled this tent. 
And that was visibly evident to the, the Israelites as a pillar of cloud and fire hung above the, the, the tabernacle day and night. This indicated that God was present there, that God was present with his people. He had promised that to the people. Now, now that's the way it was throughout the Israelite history un, until we get to the time of King Solomon. King Solomon built a permanent structure for God, a temple where the people would worship God and where God promised his presence as well. After he finished the construction of this magnificent temple, 2 Chronicles records for us this verse as Solomon is is thanking God for the the construction of this this temple. He's offering sacrifices and, and the verse says this, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, and consume the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The presence of God, the glory of the Lord resided with his people, and it was an amazing thing. Yet as you study a little bit more about the tabernacle, as you learn a little bit more about the temple, one of the things you'll come to learn is that there was always a separation. It was awesome that God was present with his people, but the the people could get close. They they just couldn't get too close. There was always some separation between God and mankind. Here's an an example. Once a year, the high priest would get to enter a part of the tabernacle or a part of the temple that was called the most holy place. This is where the Ark of the Covenant resided. This is where God's presence was specifically identified And only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in once a year, and he had specific instructions on how he was to do that. Now, Jewish tradition records for us how the high priest and the priest would handle this. They would actually tie a rope around the high priest's ankle just in case he died going into the presence of the glory of the Lord. Which tells you that either that had happened before, or they were just uh, saving the the, the possibility that it could happen because going into the presence of the Lord was was a, a terrible, awful thing. It was not a place where sinners could stand. In fact, people died being going into the presence of the Lord because they could not, as sinners, approach the holiness of God. There was always a, a separation, and that separation existed because of sin. Sin had created this great chasm between God and man. Sin had made us hostile to God, rebellious against God, and made it made us unable to go to God, to come to God. And that was the case all throughout history, and it would, rem- would have remained the case if the glory of the Lord hadn't appeared in a different way. John says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, one thing that that celebrities have in common, celebrities like Jay-Z, Beyonce, Ellen, or Taylor Swift, is that at the end of the year, they're, they're normally on a list of some of the most generous people in the world. They give some of the, the, the highest amounts of money to charitable causes. Now, of course, you could make the, the case that they have a lot to give, but still, they give generously of what is theirs. 
But I'm willing to bet that, that even after they're done giving, they go home and they, they sleep in their mansions and they drive their, their cars and their lifestyle is not affected all that much. Now, this isn't to rag on celebrities because the same is probably true for you. You may be very generous with your money, yet you still probably go home and have a place to sleep. You have a mode of transportation. Your life is not affected in a dramatic way. Have you ever considered what it would be like to give up everything? All your money? All your possessions? If you've entertained that thought, it's probably only been uh, just a what-if sort of situation. You've never seriously considered that. And I'm not encouraging you to get rid of everything. That's not what I'm doing. But I, I, I want you to think about that because I, I want you to think about what Jesus did for us. He literally gave up everything. He gave up the full use of his divinity to, to become dependent on two poor newlyweds from Nazareth. This world-creating divine word humbled himself to become a little child that had to have his diaper changed, that had to be taught how to, to do things, that had to be fed and carried around. That's no small thing. That the Son of God set aside the full use of his divinity so that he could be like us. He became like us so that he could unite us with God again, so he could remove the separation. You see, what started in the humility of the manger would end up, end with humiliation on the cross, where Jesus would bow his head, give up his spirit, and you know what would happen at that moment? There was a curtain of, of separation that, that separated the, the most holy place, the presence of God, from the people. It was a visible sign of the separation that existed between God and man. Yet when Jesus bowed his head, gave up his spirit on the cross, that curtain of separation tore in two. Because the separation was now done away with between God and man. Jesus had reconciled sinners to God again. He had brought man and sinner back together. And that's what started in the manger on Christmas. Do you remember the, the story of the transfiguration? Jesus went up on top of the mountain with his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, before their very eyes, Jesus was transfigured. He was transformed. And they were able to see his full glory for the first time in his ministry. They got to see the divinity that he, he had been hiding within himself all that time. And on his left and on his right were Moses and Elijah because Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Do you remember Peter's reaction to seeing the full glory of the Lord? He wanted to stay there longer. He wanted to prolong that moment in any way that he could. And so he offered to set up a, a tent for each of those people on, on top of the mountain there. He, he was probably even willing to sleep on a rock if it meant that he could prolong that moment just a little bit. You know, there will come a time when being in the presence of the glory of the Lord will not only last a moment. Jesus came to tent among his people. He came in grace and truth so that we would tent with him forever in heaven. 
John is very intentional about his word choice in John 1.14. And he's very in, intentional about his word choice in, in the book of Revelation, too. He uses the same exact word in the book of Revelation. When he's talking about the new heaven and the new earth, he says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling, his tenting place, is now among his people, and he will dwell, he will tent with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. (laughs) Oh, do we look forward to that day. Yet until that day, we set up our tent where God has promised his presence with us. He has promised that wherever two or three come together in his name, there he is with them. God is here. He is with us now. So we set up our tent in worship and the word. Oh, and and he is with us today also in body and blood, given for you for the forgiveness of sins in in this sacrament. The divine has come to visit you. So we set up our tent and we partake of the sacrament as often as we possibly can. Who knew so much could be communicated in these words? So much theological depth. So much comfort. So much for us to treasure. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. If you liked this sermon and liked the content that we're producing as a church, could you do us a favor? Could you hit subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to this on? That helps us be be heard by more people more often so that more people might hear about Jesus and his love. Take care, have a great week, and we'll we'll see you next week for another sermon.